They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Who is Israel? When we ask that question, who is Israel? Some people would say, oh, Israel, it's, it's just a country there in the Middle East. You know, other people would say, Israel, they're the Jews, the Jewish people. Others would say, oh, Israel, don't worry about Israel. You know, the, the Christian church, the church, we've, we've replaced Israel. And with replacing Israel, we've replaced the covenants of Abraham. We've replaced all that stuff. And we don't need to worry about that anymore. We're free right now. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be coming. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So I would like to tell you the most amazing story of the Bible never told. I would like to tell you and reveal to you the greatest mystery in the Bible that you will not hear in your churches. A mystery that God has been revealing and is revealing in these last days. And I want you to to pay attention to this because this is God's revival call to His bride. And you need to understand this message if you want to understand the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. This message will change the way that you see the Bible. In a way, you will be able to read in a way like never before. And this is the mystery that needs to be solved for the bride to come in alignment with the bridegroom. I would like to start this story back in Genesis with the story of Abraham, where God comes to Abraham and makes a promise to him. You and Sarah will have a son. His name will be Isaac, and I will make an everlasting promise to him and his descendants. So God comes to Sarah and and Abraham and tells them, I'm going to make a promise to you. I am going to give you a son and this is going to be an everlasting promise. And this promise is that that he's going to multiply them as the stars in the heavens. It's going to be like nothing before. And today, and and he says, he goes on and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you ride on the heights of the nations. I'm going to make you blessed among the nations. And when we look at this picture today, when we look today in our modern day, we look at the physical land of Israel. This is definitely something that we can see. We can see that Israel in, in this, they're in this dark place of this dark pit of darkness surrounded by countries, third world countries. But Israel stands forth as a first world country with the invention of USB drives, the, the invention of laser stainless steel. You know, they brought forth countless mobile prize winners. And we see that there is something to this promise, this everlasting promise made way back to Abraham that has been that God has been keeping and and bringing to fulfillment even today. And while we look at Israel as a predominantly Jewish nation today, it, it might shock you to know that Abraham, the, the one who this promise was made out to, was in fact actually not Jewish. He was actually a simple Hebrew. Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. 
But when they came to Iran, they settled there. The area of the Chaldeans was located between the Tigris and the Euphrates, also known as Mesopotamia. They weren't Jewish. They, 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 actually, in fact, the term Jewish wasn't even invented until the tribes came, the 12 tribes came from Abraham. And see, we see Abraham has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob produces the 12 sons with his wives who, are, who become known as the 12 sons of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. The names of the sons were Gad, Asher, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan and Nephtali. And so we see Jacob produce these 12 sons and they started arriving at Egypt. And as the years go by, the Egyptians decided to take them as slaves so they might not overpower them. So Israel is in the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons who produces that becomes the 12 tribes of Israel are now enslaved in Egypt. We all know the, the story of Egypt where God rescued Israel out of Egypt and, they, and they, Moses brings them through the Exodus where they face all kinds of trials. They're in the wilderness and God comes and bestows upon them the commandments and, and restore, starts restoring their relationship with them and the promise that he made to Abraham initially. And after they come through the Exodus, they arrive at the Jordan River. And when they arrive at the Jordan Jordan River, God says, after you had children and grandchildren, you have lived in the land a long time. If you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. So God says that if you forsake my covenant, I will scatter you the 12 tribes. I will scatter you among the nations. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do. You're standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, and all the men of Israel your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws the water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with us with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, it is not with you alone that I'm making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. So God says that he is making a covenant today. And in this covenant, right before they enter to the promised land, he says that I am making this covenant not only with you, but with the stranger who sojourns among you. But who are these strangers? You see, when, when, when we look at the tribes of Israel and they came through the Exodus and they came right before the promised land, the people were a mixed multitude. In other words, it wasn't only the 12 bloodline tribes of Israel who were there, but there were in fact other people who came along with them out of Egypt too. People who saw the plagues of, that, that, that came against Pharaoh. People who witnessed that and, and decided, I want to follow this God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob too. 
And so there was there was the bloodline tribes of Israel, but also sojourners or strangers who sojourned among them. So God says the reason that I'm making this covenant is so that you can be my people and I can be your God. And so everyone who calls on my name here, you enter into this covenant with me. This is the conditions of the covenant so I can be your God. And he says, it's not with you alone that I'm making this covenant. It's with everyone who is here today and with everyone who is not here today. But who are these people who are not here today? Number one, the descendants of the bloodline tribes, as well as everyone who comes and calls on my name and says that you are one to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so after Israel enters the promised land, they come under rule. They come under the rule of King Saul. Then they have King David and then they have King Solomon who lived from 9070 to 9031 BC. And so we have all the tribes living under these kings and under Solomon, the tribes prosper and Judah and Israel, the two kingdoms of Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. Just as God promised their fathers, they ate and drank and were happy and everything was well with them until Solomon's mistake. Solomon had many wives and his wives drew him to these foreign gods. And while his heart was initially with the father, his heart was drawn away to other false gods. And God was very displeased by this. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians. And after milk and the abomination of the Amorites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Because he followed the goddess of Ashtaroth, God decided to split the tribes. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces, ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. And so Israel is split into two kingdoms with 10 tribes in the northern kingdom, as well as two tribes in the south. The northern kingdom becomes known as the house of Israel, the house of Jacob or the house of Ephraim. And this can be confusing to many people because when the Bible and the scriptures then start referring to this northern kingdom, these 10 tribes as the house of Israel, Ephraim or Joseph. And so we see that Jacob, whose name, who was called then Israel, bestowed the blessing on on Joseph and Joseph blessed Ephraim. We read in Genesis that Jacob decided to give his name to the to Ephraim, to the Ephraim. He says that one day Ephraim will be called by my name and his name is Israel. From this point on, the ten tribes of Ephraim becomes primarily known as the house of Israel. The remaining two tribes in the southern kingdom of Judah, namely the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, becomes who we know today as the Jewish people. The Jewish people are from the house of Judah. After the split takes place, God disperses the kingdoms. He disperses the house of Israel into Assyria and he disperses the house of Judah into Babylon. 
The house of Judah then returned from Babylon, a very important fact. And this had to happen because there was a prophecy given about the Messiah, Yeshua, that he would need to come from the line of David and the line of David is from the house of of Judah. So for the house of Judah needs to come back. They need to come back and be, be and restore their they have their identity restored to them so that there is a clear line for the Messiah to come through. But the house of Israel, the ten tribes, never came back. Israel, or the house of Israel, is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria had devoured him, and last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, have broken his bones. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all the nations, like a corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Therefore say, thus said the Lord God, though I have caused them, talking about the house of Israel, far off among the heathen, and though I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Israel is swallowed up. No, now they shall be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein there is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild ass along by himself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. So we see that Israel is scattered into Assyria and they assimilate into the Gentiles, into the nations, and they start losing their identity slowly. But by New Testament times, when Yeshua Jesus comes and sets his foot on this earth, the, the, the house of Judah or the, 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 what we call the Jews today, they were in control. They had their identity. But across the Euphrates River, the house of Israel, the other 10 tribes, while they were starting to assimilate into the Gentiles, some of them still retained some of that identity. However, over the next 2000 years, Israel would completely lose their identity to a place where, where they don't know who they are anymore. So when we fast forward to the time of Christ, we see that the apostles write about this in their writings. When we open the book of James in the very first chapter, in the very first verse, we read James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad greetings. So we read in James that his letter, his book is being made out to the 12 tribes of Israel, to the identity of Israel, the direct offspring of Abraham. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter's letter is, is written for the strangers. And we know that the scattered sheep, the ten tribes of Israel, were the strangers. They were starting to lose their identity and they were strangers to the, the, the kingdom of Judah. Judah and Israel started rubbing up against each other. The two kingdoms started fighting and rubbing up against each other. They weren't, they weren't in peace. And the tribe of Judah actually had this whole idea of the, this, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, as, kind of, as being Gentiles and as being, you know, not of them. That is why at the time of Yeshua, we see the house of Judah, the Jews, 
being in control of the temple and all religious activity. If someone from the scattered house of Israel wanted to follow God, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, required them to convert from their house of Israel to the house of Judah or into the religion we call today as Judaism. This is why the Pharisees took such issue with the ministry of Jesus, who came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Peter, one of the places, Peter says, to the strangers scattered through Pontius, Galatia. And the Galatians, are, we, we know the Galatians so well. It's the people that Paul wrote his letters to. Paul wrote letters to Galatia. Now, now this is strange because Peter is saying that the, the people in Galatia he's making his letters out to is the strangers scattered. The people, the sojourners scattered. We need to understand that Peter and the apostles understood that the, the prophecies, they understood that the northern tribe were, the tribes were scattered. They understood that they were losing their identity. And so I would like to ask you a question. Would it make sense for God to, to raise up Paul, a man who studied under Gamaliel, the most zealous of all, who knew the Torah by heart? He was the most the most learned scholar that there was in his, of all, among all his colleagues. He was the most studied one. And he was smart. He understood the Torah word for word. He was an educated man in it. So would it make sense for God to raise a man like him and send him to pagans who had no understanding of any of, of God, no background of God? Or would it make more sense that God raised him to speak to people who are not not so foreign to this God, to this God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It might not be such a crazy idea that God sent Paul to speak to the tribes, speak to people who'd had some understanding of what happened, some understanding of the front of the book. Because he had to convince them of this father, of this God that's calling them back, this God that's calling their identity back. I'm not saying that there weren't pagan Gentiles amongst the people Paul and the other apostles preached to. There certainly was. But the scattered sheep of the house of Israel was a prominent audience amongst them. And so they accepted these letters so fast and eagerly because they finally understood this good news that was being preached to them. And what was this good news? We need to ask the question, why were they so far removed from God? And why, why did they eagerly need to hear this good news? And so the reason for this is that God divorced the house of Israel. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. So we see that God, that Israel played when whoring among the nations, God's bride when whoring among the nations and God divorced Israel. And he says that he say that Judah looked at his, her sister and the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah also followed suit. But we read that God did not divorce Judah. He only divorced Israel. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. So Judah returned to God, even though it was in pretense. Judah returned to God. 
The story of Hosea is, is, is a, an incredibly strange story considered by Christians and by, by people who've read it before. And, and it includes Hosea, a prophet sent by God, where God tells Hosea, go and, and marry a whore. Oh, 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 take for yourself a, a wife of whoredom and marry her. And then I want you to conceive children with her. But what we fail to understand is that this, the whole book of Hosea, is a prophetic picture of this entire story. A prophetic picture of the house of Israel and God's relationship with her. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And the Lord said, Call his name Not My People, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So God tells Hosea to, to bore two children. The, two, the one child's name was No Mercy. And God says, This is a prophetic picture of me having no more mercy for the house of Israel. And he says, have another child and, and call this one not my people, for this, these people are not my people. But why? What, what was the reason for God to, to bring this judgment upon the house of Israel, the ten tribes of the north? Why did he do it? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And so the reason for all of this was because they had a lack of knowledge. A simple lack of knowledge caused, led up to a divorce. But what was this knowledge that they lacked? The father said that the knowledge was, was the law of God. Because you have lacked knowledge and you've forsaken the law of God. Because of that, you have fallen away from me. And he actually says, you are no longer able to be a priest unto me. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. And so we see that they transgressed the covenant. They broke his law and they were cut off. Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. My God, we know thee. And doesn't this just sound familiar? Doesn't this call of God, we know you sound familiar? In Matthew, we read the response. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we see that Israel, they break the law of God. They, try, they break the covenant. They are disobedient. And they cry out, God, God, we know you. God, we know you. And then God says, I never knew you depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And God fills the story up with this New Testament passage. But through all of this, through all of this, this, this transgression and breaking of the covenant and the whoring, God has a plan. As he said also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people and her beloved, which was not beloved. And shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God.
And so Romans, Paul here is quoting directly from Hosea and he's saying there will come a time where they will no longer be called not my people, but they will be called children of the living God. I will restore what was lost in that covenant. I will restore my bride to me. I will restore everything. And in we read, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You will no longer be destroyed for the lack of knowledge you previously had. You will no longer be destroyed for your lack of knowledge of what my law is. And you will keep it and you will not transgress it anymore because I will do something supernatural. But now we, we are, we, there's a huge problem with this whole thing because we, God cannot remarry Israel. The very law of God says, God's very word says that if a husband di di um, divorces a wife and the wife goes and, and whores with someone else, then that husband cannot take the wife back. And if he do does that, it's an abomination to God. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord. And we read in Deuteronomy about the law. He says, her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she'd been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. So God himself, I mean, God himself cannot transgress the very law he gave. We know that sin is the transgression of the law. And so if God has to break his own law to get Israel back, it means that God would need to sin to get her back. And this is the great mystery. This is the great question. What, how will God do this? How will God get his house of Israel back? And this question is something that's been on the shoulders of rabbis and in, in the Jewish side and on the side of, of the apostles and everyone in between. And here we read Rabbi Ephraim Spreacher from the Commonwealth of Israel. He says, the challenging question that arises now and that the rabbis will have to resolve is, how does Hashem remarry the bride whom he divorced? For this is forbidden by his own Torah. This is forbidden by his own law. And so how can he do this? As we've established, Paul was this elite scholar. He was, he was on the top of his game in understanding the Torah and the prophets, the front of his book. And so God spoke through Paul because of that understanding. God spoke through him. And, 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 and he will help us solve this mystery. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Hold on. This, this, the Romans 7, Romans chapter 7, one of the most understood chapters in the entire Bible, written by Paul. He says in the very first verse of Romans 7, I am speaking to those who know the law. 
So that means that if we don't understand the law, we need to stop reading right here. Guys, if you are a professional, you're, you know, maybe you've gone for that job interview, you got the job and you're walking into that professional environment and your and your colleagues speak to you. They're going to speak to you in the way that you are supposed to understand. They're going to speak to you in light of your skill set, in light of your knowledge about your job. And so if they speak to you and you don't know about what they're speaking about, you are going to misinterpret them. You're not going to understand it. And they have this assumption that you understand what they're going to be saying. And in the same way, Paul is here, how he's got an assumption. He's like, listen, you need to understand the front of your book. You need to understand the law. You need to be educated on that. And if you're not, you're not going to get what I'm saying. And you're going to twist this stuff to your own destruction. You're going to be because of your lack of knowledge. You are once again going to be destroyed. But now that we've laid this groundwork, we'll understand what he has to say. That the law, don't you know that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? And so, yes, we understand that the law is binding on us as long as we live. When you're dead, you can't be obedient to the law anymore. So the law is not binding on you anymore. You're totally released from it. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released. From the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law of marriage. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress and she can marry whomever she wishes. And so we see that the only way for God to take back his bride is for him to die, for him to be released from the law of marriage so that his wife can come back. And so Yeshua, he saw the cross, he saw this, he knew and he rejoiced and he went with joy and he went because he knew that the only way to have her back, the only way to have his divorced bride back who broke the covenant, who, who went hoary, the only way that he can come and get, get her back is for him to die. And so this is the mystery. This is the solution. This is why we need God had to die. Death had no grip over him. Death had no place. And so because of that, he was raised as well. And he was suitable and able to remarry his bride that was divorced. He was able to overcome death. So the 10 tribes were finally able. There was finally good news to the 10 tribes. There was finally a way for the 10 tribes to not feel away from the father, but to have a way for the 10 tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel to come back. In Matthew 15 verse 24, I have not come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeshua, Jesus is saying here, I came. For the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the ten tribes scattered abroad, I have come for them. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Then said Jesus unto them again, Very verily I say unto you, I am the door to the sheep. And here he's saying, guys, I am the solution. I am the gate. I'm the way for the house of Israel. The house of Israel can come through me. Because we know that when we talk, he talks about the sheep, it's the sheep that's the house of Israel. He, we've established that already, that the house of Israel is the sheep. And he's saying, I have not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we see that Peter is actually quoting this from, from the Exodus. And we need to ask the question, what is this chosen race, royal priesthood that he's talking about? You see, we, we, we need to look at where he got that from because he knows the Torah and the prophets. He knows the front of the book and he is quoting from the Exodus. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is what you will speak to the twelve tribes of Israel. And when we look at the new coming Jerusalem, we see that there is the twelve tribes are written on the gates to enter into the heavens. He says that, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in his spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates were twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And so we see that even in the new Jerusalem that comes down, there are going to be gates. And on the top of the gates, it's going to be a gate for every tribe. And we're going to see and you will be going into the gate for the tribe that you belong to. You cannot enter. There is no gate of Gentile. We need to understand there is no gate for church. There is no gate for anything else except the 12 tribes of Israel. There Yeshua said, I did not come for, for anything else. I came for the house of Israel. But now we need to ask the question, what about the rest? What about those that are not of the bloodline of Israel? So in the same way where the mixed multitude were in the Exodus and, and mixed multitude came with them out of Egypt, in the same way, God has brought forth a solution for those who are not of the bloodline, because his plan has always been from the very beginning. His plan has been to bring Israel as a light to the nations and for him to bring the, the kingdom of Israel and Judah, the tribe of the, the two, the northern and southern kingdom, the ten tribes and the two tribes together for them to become one and them to be a light to the nations. And then he, he brought forth a way for the nations to come in. He answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But, but he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So we see this woman come to Yeshua and she, she says, my, my daughter is sick. I, I need help. And he said, I have not come but for the lost tribes of the house of Israel. And she said, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll even take the crumbs. I'll, I'll even take, I'll take anything. And he, and he said and he responded, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And then her daughter was healed and he extended his healing power. What he came to do, healing and deliverance and freedom, he extended to her, even though she wasn't part of what he came for initially. 
And so Paul explains this in Romans when he says, For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So he's saying that we were grafted out of a wild olive tree and grafted into a cultivated olive tree. All right. And so we need to ask the question, what is this olive tree? You know, there's many theories and surrounding this in the, in the midst of Christianity and, and, and so on. But we need to go by the definition and the, the law of first mention. The law of first mention is where we go by the first definition the Bible gives for a term in our Bibles. And we take that definition and we apply it to, to the next time it's, 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 it's brought up. And so in Jeremiah 11, verse 16, the Lord gives us this definition. The Lord once called you, talking of Israel, a green olive tree, beautiful with great good fruit. And so we see that the Lord calls the good olive tree. The green olive tree is Israel. That is who it is. We, it's not. See, we cannot go and change definitions. If we start changing definitions, we end up with 300 million denominations. We, we, you know, and, and that's what has happened. We've started changing definitions. But the Father has been giving us the definition. And he's saying, this is it. This is the truth. The olive tree is Israel. And so he's saying that you were once a part of a wild tree. But I'm calling grafting you into a cultivative olive tree. That is Israel. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What promise? The same promise given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We can now become grafted into Israel. We can become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Even if you're not part of the bloodline, you become part of Israel and you become an, in the, and, and you can inherit all the promises given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Promises of blessing, promises of an inheritance. Because see, there is no inheritance for a tribe of Gentile because there is no tribe of Gentile. There's no church thing in there it's it's you're part of the tribes of israel or you're not you're either grafted in or you're not there's no in between and so we see it's not about bloodline at all in one timothy we read nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from god that is by faith you shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have children among you. They shall be to you as native born children of Israel. With you, they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. And so in the same way, in Eze as we've just read in Ezekiel, they shall be as you as a native born. And we then you become part. If you're not part of the bloodline of Israel, you become as part of the bloodline. You become as part of the native born. We read in Romans, we are becoming partakers of this promise, this, this covenant. But, but what is this covenant that we are being partakers of? In our, in our grafting in, what are we being a part of? The earth lies been defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. In Isaiah, we read about this everlasting covenant that we that have been broken that is where we have fallen short that is where israel that is what has caused israel's divorce in the first place
And so now God is giving us the new covenant definition. And he says, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Yet again, we need to understand that this new covenant is made out not to a house of Gentile or any other house, but the house of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. And the house of Judah, the the two tribes left, which is the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, or who we call the Jewish people today. So the new covenant is made out to the house of Israel and the house of Judah and no one else. And so again, unless we become grafted into the house of Israel and house of Judah, there is no inheritance. There is no new covenant for us. And so our identity becomes the house of Israel. Or we become grafted in to Israel. And that is what our identity becomes. God's people has always been Israel. We have all God, if, if God from the Exodus to from Genesis to Revelation. God has been saying, Israel, you are my people. If you want to follow me, the, this is my covenant. You follow what I say. But what is this new covenant? In Strong's H2318, we, we see the word, we actually find the word that's been used for the new covenant. And this word is Hadash. And it means to rebuild, renew, or repair. So the actual word for the new covenant is the renewed, repaired covenant. It's the covenant that has been repaired because it was not the covenant that was faulty. It was the people who were fault at fault. The thing that was the fault was the people. The thing that was actually broken was uh, we, the people were broken. And we broke the covenant, the perfect covenant of God, who the psalmist says, Oh Lord, your law is perfect. And so now the father restores the marriage. He comes and dies for his bride. And he and, and at that cross, man, at that cross, on the cross, the new covenant is made. At that cross, the wedding vows are made. And he makes the wedding vows. And he desires us to sign them. And this is the wedding vows. And this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it on their hearts. And will be their God and they shall be my people. And so the Lord says, this is what my new wedding vows are for you. This is what my covenant is for you. This is what it is. I'm going to take my Torah, my law. Because when Jeremiah wrote this, the only law that existed was the front of our book. And he's the the Torah and the prophets. And he says that I will write that. I'm going to take it. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to change the very being of you. I'm going to make you a new creature. I'm going to make you a creature, a new creature, a new creation that wants to follow my law. I'm going to change the very nature of you. He says in Ezekiel 36 verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments. And do them. And that's also speaking of the new covenant. He says, I'm going to put a spirit in you. And I'm going to cause you with my spirit to keep the Torah. And we read in the words of Yeshua and the words of Jesus. He confirms all of this. And he says, tells the same story. And he says in Matthew 5 verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish 
the law or the prophets, the Torah or the prophets, the front of your book. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Oh, my bride, don't think that I have come to throw away the promises I made initially to Abraham. Do not think that I've come to abolish my very word. Do not think I've come to abolish myself. Because we need to understand that Yeshua is the word made flesh. And the only word that could have been that made became flesh is the Torah and the prophets. That's the word that became flesh because there was no New Testament when that was said. And so Yeshua is the Torah and the prophets that became flesh. And he said, I have not come to abolish that. I have not come to abolish myself. I have come to live it out, walk it out, so you can see how to walk it out. I have come in the flesh, my bride. I have come, you've been struggling, and I have come now. And I'm going to come and walk this thing out for you so you can have a perfect example. So that you will never sin just as I have never sinned because my bride... To sin is to transgress the law of God. To, 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 John and John, we read that sin is the transgression of the law. That's what sin is. That's the definition of sin. And so now he says, I'm going to cause you now. I'm going to change you. When you get baptized, I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to make you a new creature. And you are going to have a changed nature where you are going to walk in my, in, in my word. You are going to walk as I walked and I walked in all of my and all of my father's instructions i've walked perfectly and now my bride come and walk as i walk because i love you i i desire a bride that is on my standard i desire a bride suitable for marriage and you see in the same way today just like we will not be unequally yoked the messiah says i will not be unequally yoked if you desire to be my bride you will walk as I walk. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth passes away, one jot or one tittle shall by in no wise pass from the law till everything is finished. Whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever shall do and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Yeshua says something very, he confirms it all. He says, there's going to be a greatest and there is going to be a least in the kingdom. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. And so and of those who do, I will look at how you walked out. If you walked exactly like I walked. And I'm going to take the standard of my word the Torah and the prophets. And I'm going to see if you walked it out, if you did it and, and taught others to do so. And if you did, I will call you great in the kingdom. I will dine with you, my bride. I will dine with you. But if you did not do that, if you, if you told men that any, even the least, my bride, even the least of these is abolished, then, I will call, then you will be called least in my kingdom. You will not dine with me at the table. You will not enter my inner courtroom. For you will not be worthy. And so I'd like to submit to you that just in Hosea we read in, verse, in chapter 8 verse 12. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. 
Brother, sister, this is exactly what has happened. The church at large has regarded the whole front of our book, the whole front of our scriptures, the old, what we call the Old Testament, we've regarded it as a strange thing, something that we sh- that's old and irrevel- irrelevant to our lives. But Yeshua said that this is the very thing that will determine whether you are great or least in my kingdom. And so I want to submit to you that we need to stop regarding it as a strange thing and start becoming familiar with his word. Start becoming familiar with our Messiah because he is the word. And so when we simply stay in our New Testament and we forget about the old, we only get half the picture and we would misinterpret Paul like he said, I am, if you don't know the law, don't even read this because I'm writing to those who know the law. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your follow ground, for it is the time, it is time, it is time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. And so, brother and sister, the time has come. The Father is calling you and He's saying, You are Israel. You are my bride. I love you. And now come, come out of the world and follow my word. It is time to follow it. Guys, it is time. Let us stop saying it is a strange thing. Let us return to him. Like in the garden, in that intimacy, let us return to him. And so I'd like to end this off with a conversation with the Father. Lord, I just, God, I just thank you for this, Lord. I just thank you for the truth around the house of Israel, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you love your people, Lord. Father, I thank you that you have not forgotten your bride, Lord, and even to the point of divorce, Father, you have come, even though we were in the wrong, we were the one, we were the harlots, we were the one who had many lovers, Father, you were the one who came back for us, and you came and you came and hanged on a cross for us, and you died so that you can so you can set us free from the law of marriage so that we can be free from the law that separated us from you the 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 thing the, the boundary wall that separated us from you that we can come back and so father lord we ask that you would come and do a mighty revival and restoration lord this is the mighty revival father this is the mighty restoration that your people would understand that they are israel this is the mystery revealed that you have made a way You are the gate for Israel to come back. And so, Father, come and give us, speak to us about this, Lord. Give us greater revelation of this. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus, Hamashiach, I pray. I would like to ask you to come and test this teaching. Come and test it all to the Word of God. Test every word I say. Search the Scriptures and ask the Father, Father, is what Petey said true? Is what he is saying true? Is this the new covenant for us to follow? And test everything. May God bless you and keep you. Have an amazing day.